0: Hello and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day.
1: Hi Chris. Hi Peter. On Dig It today we're delighted to be joined by Rosemary Hardy of Hardy Plants Nursery. Rosie, where do we find you today?
2: I'm actually at the nursery, but at the moment I'm just in my home office. So um, I've been out already wandering around the nursery and sorting out a leaking water tank, all of those things when you get this time of year and the irrigation has to go on, and things leak.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, we found that. We turned ours on a couple of weeks ago, and um, the pump fired up fine and then blew a couple of spray nozzles off and (laughs) covered the selling area in water. It's all good fun, isn't it?
2: It's all entertaining, isn't it? It it, it was all working perfectly fine, but then I got there and I saw that the the 10,000-litre tank, was just overflowing, which means that the stock clock's not working properly. I'm just (laughs) so annoyed.
1: (laughs) Okay. So perhaps, uh, Rosie, we could start by just begging a question um, about your interest in gardening. Obviously, you've got a a wonderful nursery down there in uh, in Hampshire, but where did your uh, interest uh, in horticulture begin?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? How how does one realise that you really want to be growing plants for a living? Um, I suppose the answer is I I didn't know I wanted to, but I was always a very nosy kid. Um, and I loved knowing all of the wildflowers wherever I lived. So I would I was someone who had ponies and I would go off into the wild of Northumberland and I would suddenly find a new wildflower and I'd go home and I'd look it up and I used to know all the trees and the shrubs and everything else. So and then it stems from there as you get a little bit older, you realize that actually you're in a really good vantage point sitting on the back of a pony or a horse. And you can look over hedges and you can look over walls and you can be really, really nosy and see what people are growing. Um, and at different times of the year, how colourful it is. And the other thing that's really good, you can do really good scrumpings on the top of a pony. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but it was, it was always fun because it was one one old boy who had a beautiful garden and he had rows and rows of chrysanthemums and you know he would have the paper bags tied over the top and then he'd have dahlias as well but he'd also have a veg patch and you know it's that very typical what people sort of think oh gosh northern gardeners grow these sorts of things but then he also had a flower garden as well which was beautiful and colorful and it was really great and then you'd see next door they just had shrubs and it was just to me that was all this colour and shape and form and I think looking at it from you know what was growing in the wildlife and the hedges it just interested me and mm-hmm. I loved being outside
0: brilliant and after you discovered sort of your love of scrumping on horses <laughs> and looking <laughs> at flowers did, did you do any formal training or any sort of studies at college
2: I did, yes. I um, at the age of fifteen, I took the RHS basic certificate um, yes. because that's when I'd realised that I did want to do horticulture, and I failed dismally my O levels. um at our school, they did horticultural O level, and you did it in a year. And mm-hmm. um, so I did that initially. So that was my start, and I did my. I did do biology, A-level, etc. cetera. I got, I got better. I sat all my exams. And then I went, I looked at the universities, and there weren't very many courses. If you try and do horticulture now at university, it's virtually impossible. And they all turned me down because I didn't have any, I was only doing two A-levels, not three, so therefore I wasn't suitable. And so I applied to um, Rittler Agricultural College. And I went there in 1981 to 1984, and did an HMD in commercial horticulture.
1: Ooh, okay, so, so that was the grounding then for your uh, for your nursery, I it suppose. It mm.
2: said that I specialised in um, vegetables and field grown vegetables and growing for supermarkets.
1: Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but you were able yeah. to use a lot of, the, I suppose, a lot of the, the processes would be could be transferable. Uh, all
2: the process- Everything is is transferable as long as you understand how a plant grows, how yeah. the soil works. Then it doesn't matter whether it's garden grown, mm. pot grown. As long as you follow all the rules of, um, you know, nutrition, watering, etc., light levels, it all it's yeah. all transferable.
1: It is indeed. Uh, Rosie, I've I've been delighted to visit your nursery on a number of times over in in Hampshire, usually on the way to to see family in Dorset, I have to say. So it's been always a lovely, offers a little stopover. But uh, over the years, can you sort of tell us a little bit how your nursery has developed and uh, what's your sort of philosophy uh, behind the the nursery there and uh, from that sort of viewpoint of of, uh, making, obviously growing really good plants?
2: (laughs) Yes, certainly. I know we I have seen you a couple of times. It's always lovely to see you when you when you pop in. We usually have a wander around, don't we and have we a do. look behind the. Scenes. So yes, I mean in we originally had the nursery in our back garden, and that became too small, and we came realized that we needed somewhere else. And we originally got a walled garden about a mile away from where we are now, and in ninety one to ninety six we were in Lava Stota state. Uh, walled garden, which was lovely. It was really, really nice. It was sloping. It was about three acres, ideal for us. We we grew on half of it and had the other half of a bit of um, fruits that were around the walls, etc. And that was really good. The only problem we found with that was, though, the walls kept the air very still and you didn't get the airflow. flow. Um, and we found the plant material that we actually grew. On the outside, in various places, when, weren't as affected with mildew and rust as the ones that were inside the tunnel, it was quite in, inside the wall garden. Sorry, um, and that's quite an interesting thing. So when it came to '96 and um, Jody Schechter, the um, ex-racing driver, bought the Laverstock State, We were given notice to quit because we were on, a, on one of these short-term tenancy agreements and basically we had to search for a bit of land very very quickly and luckily um the piece of land that we did purchase which is what we're on now um in 90 when we moved here in 97 um is on the top of a hill you know it's on the top of the hill it's quite sloping, south facing and it's very and very windy so completely different conditions to what we were growing inside the walled garden which was a little bit more protected. and I've always been of the opinion that we should really grow our plant material hard it should be out, outside outdoor grown so we're going back to the sort of um, bloom type of idea that plant material is meant to be outside that's where it's happiest not inside the tunnel so, although we do have some tunnels here on the nursery, they're only for propagation material, which is young and tender. And no, you couldn't take the cuttings and run them outside because they'd all die. Um, but um, then they may be grown on a little bit. And then at this time of the year, so we're, while we're at this cusp and there's still a little bit of frost, we are potting now and putting straight outside. The cuttings have been hardened off before they get potted up. So. The, the key thing really for me is they must be hard grown and on our windy site and exposed we own we minimal water um, because we haven't got collection um, at the moment we are on mains to pay for every single litre so it, we have to be cost effective so we water whenever possible last thing in the evening and first thing in the morning and um, yeah it it's that's really the key thing outdoor grown hard so that when they go into someone's garden they feel as though they've gone on holiday and hey presto off they grow because they've got really good roots and you know they're ready to get into the soil
0: yeah i totally agree with that rosemary because at the end of the day being a nursery sometimes we have plants that come in that have clearly been grown in tunnels to get them to to market quicker and uh, faster, and you put them outside, and suddenly they collapse because they haven't even felt the wind on them, let alone sort of the, the temperature <laughs> changes. And it, it's yeah. su- such a shame. But what what started your love of perennials then, and why did you go and choose that as a commercial crop to start um, to go I, into? It,
2: yeah, it was something that really. on to us. I mean, it wasn't a a decision that we we sort of said when we first started growing, we will grow perennials. Basically, when we first started, we grew everything. We we seed raised annuals, we did climbers, we did alpines, we did shrubs, everything that we could possibly grow or I could take cuttings of. Um, And it was really the customers who showed us what they wanted and they were wanting the herbaceous perennials the old-fashioned cottage garden perennials and we were very lucky in that Rob's sister my sister-in-law Anne Liverman who sadly is no longer with us but she had a super garden um, up in Ashbourne in Derbyshire and she Really specialized in that garden in herbaceous perennials, and she just gave us all sorts of different plant material and introduced me to other plant material, and that's really where it's where it's gone from. So my style of doing of doing displays to sell plants is always being cottage garden feel because I just feel that that is a a good way of going a mixture rather than being specific to just one genre. Cottage garden can lend itself to being smarter or it can lend itself to being much more wild. Yeah. And that's something that I ha- I I feel is, is good. So perennials fit into that really, really well. They are what's what's the word for it? They're amenable, you know, you mm. can you can treat them quite tough and they'll come back and they are something that is dependable.
1: Yeah yeah i'd quite agree there i think uh, and the the fact is that you know cottage garden plants have seen such a renaissance over the last sort of 20 25 years haven't they from uh, f- from the changeover from well, gardens getting a little perhaps a little bit smaller and, and perennials are more accommodating in in smaller spaces but uh, uh rosie your you, your plants and your, your rhs displays are obviously legendary in the in the gardening trade and uh <laughs> we, we love them but what, can i ask about the process of putting those displays together is there a is there a secret formula? Is there is a tricks you, you've 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 developed over the years? Would I'd love to know.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I I always say that I paint with the plants that I've got. So we will collate plant material that is show plant material that is ready for that particular time of the year. So it we're always doing seasonal plants. Um, We're not pushing them too far, but we have to put them inside just so they are pristine and clean. Um, Because we're on limey water here, so therefore you get lime deposit on the leaf as you water over the top. So we have to water into the base of the plant. And we tidy them up, and then they're taken to the shows. And I always have this mantra of right plant, right place in my head when I'm doing it. So when I do them, I will... Try and work my way around and go, These are all the shady plants, these are all the other plants, these all these combinations will work together. And it is very much a there's no diagram of where the plants are going to go, for instance, it's all in my head, and I just paint with the plants and put them together as we go along with the display.
1: That's a wonderful skill to have, I have to say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's not transferable. Oh, what a shame!
1: (laughs) No, it's good. Rosie, I know, I know Rob, your, your husband, is very much involved in the growing at your, your Hampshire nursery, and, and also obviously he does the sort of rounds of uh, the, the shows. I mean, do, do you between the two of you, do you bounce ideas off on the, the sort of ideas you want to create in these these show gardens, or do you do you you know work to your own particular sort of blueprint at the time, as you were saying, with the the, the plant associ- associations you're trying to create?
2: yeah it's a difficult one because we do bounce some ideas robert will tell you that i'm in charge when we do the displays, um and he's just the dog's body uh but that's not necessarily true because we have to put a a size and a shape into the rhs and say this is the size of display area that we want we are basically going to put some pathways in etc so it is a very basic plan that I draw up and has often been described as a back of a fag packet diagram. Um, It is really showing what amount of material Rob needs to get in the way of paving or gravel, how many edge boards he needs, um, what he needs in the way of um, waterproofing to do the water rills that I put in. So those are put onto grass paper and then we can work out what meterage we've got, et cetera, so that he has his hardware and he knows what hardware he will organise that and then he's in charge of deliveries up, um, getting the vehicles on site, etc. And then once the plants are there, then it's me and I will say, Oh, you've just got that in the wrong place or something if he's if he's doing Um, a reel or something or a waterway we've learned that you don't put the ponds on the floor because when you are trying to hide five liter pots and you've only got a three inch sorry what's that in centimeters 15 centimeter high edge Mm. there's an awful lot pot showing and so we've learned that they have to go on pallets. And then have an edge board on them, and then we're able to hide the pots there. It's actually easier to raise the pots up than sink them down, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um so there's a lot of lot of skill in the actual putting plants on there and tipping them. And plants have a good side and a bad side, and you you, you turn the plant round to so that you know where the main area is. And one thing we do discuss knowing the show, and knowing the orientation of where our display is, we know where to put the main pathway. So we know the footfall and where people are going to come from, and that's quite important, so that they get to see um, a really good uh, show straight away, and then they walk around and see other bits.
1: Yeah, and um, on that. Uh today on, on dig it, we probably thought it'd be quite nice, Rosie, to tap in your into your wonderful uh, plant uh, knowledge to go down that right right plant, right place, which you, you, you highlighted a, a little while ago. And obviously over the next you know, next few weeks the garden centres and the nurseries, including us, are going to be incredibly busy with these sort of questions. So um perhaps let's start with a you know a new new time gardener. Somebody who's never grown perennials before. Plus, what mm. Mm, and there's going to be a few of those around. I think over the next me. few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> there, are pizza?
2: Lot more of, there are, which is good. It has, you know, Robert always describes it as the new entrance into school each year. As the <laughs> old entrance disappear at the top, the new ones come in at the bottom, and yes, you end up with the same questions, but you've got people who are interested and keen, and they can find information out about plant material and how to do things so much more easily now with the
1: internet indeed yeah that's that's certainly helping that so what um what sort of half dozen plants say hey, would you recommend assuming that this garden is open it's got a nice plenty of sunshine for much of the day the soil's pretty good however there's a few weeds around but then all new gardens tend yep. to come with weeds um what would be your, your thoughts on those
2: the old weeds. <laughs> no. um yeah, I, I mean I would always say if you're a new grower and you haven't tried, then you want to be, and especially if you've got a bit of weed around, then you want to be looking at growing plants that are strong plants, um, sometimes thought of as thugs, but they, you will succeed with them. um, And they will do really well for you. I sort of have, I don't want to go too specific, but I'll stay with some plant genera because my one plant family that I will always default to is hardy geraniums. Mm-hmm. There is one for every single part of the garden except the pond. <laughs> so they'll grow in shade, they'll grow in sun, they'll grow in alpine conditions. They can be tall, they can be short. So, you know, look for a hardy geranium in the colour that you want that is a repeat flowering one, for instance. Very, very easy to grow. Hercicarias really there are some lovely new varieties out there there are some dwarf ones there are some taller ones they will work in most borders and in that sort of condition no problem at all GMs are wonderful again so many new color variations in those again shorter and taller ones reblooming napita you know the catmint, loves the a you know and there are some there are some bigger ones good old good old varieties are worth it you know six hills giants if you get the true form or walkers low or summer magic you know they're all all great leucatumum as long as it's not too hot because the leucatumum's want a little bit of moisture so you know that would just be one there circium the lovely um you know the lovely red mm. uh, burgundy oh, that's a lovely thing same cancer. so some of these things that will feed around are always quite good for a new gardener Um, because you never know where they're going to turn up and they might suddenly surprise you and and suddenly think, oh gosh, yes, that's quite good there, let's leave it there. And, you know, something that seeds are easy to hoe and and weed out if you don't want them all around the place. Alcamilla. You cannot go wrong with an alcamilla. doesn't have to be mollusk, because that is a little bit too soggy, but something like um, venosa. Or um, Sarah Carter Goldstrike, which are more amenable and not going to seed around quite so much. They're really, really great. Lamium for ground cover. Coryopsis, mm-hmm. either the vertical type or the Grandiflora type. So either ones with a nice ferny um, foliage, uh, which are smaller, or the ones with the bigger foliage, which are taller. They're always great beginner plants. Rudbeckia in different forms, and Cephalaria. And then that gives you height in the garden. Both of those will give you some really good height uh, to the garden, which is good. I think that's about a dozen different.
0: There's quite a few, isn't there? Excellent. Excellent. And and, uh, any of those ones good for sort of really heavy, cold clay soils?
2: Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll get some of the rubecchias to go in there, heavy, cold, the persicaria, some of the GMS, especially the uh, GM rivale type, and your um, alcamilla will be fine.
1: Um, in those, and, the, and obviously the, the hardy geranium well. Excellent, thank you. And I and suppose um, a lot of people have situations where they've got uh sort of light canopies from shrubs or maybe some small garden trees. What about perennials for, for those sort of locations where you want to give you know give a bit of color under the, under the well, trees? Color
2: and height, mm. so and you, you, all year round. So, um, if you're wanting a ground cover in there with it, which um will be. Good for you. Then you've got things like pratia, begonias, and Waldet steiner All of those will give you ground cover and different types of leaf shape. If you want self-seeding, then you've got your things like Aquilegia, Scutellaria tornaforii, which is a beautiful creamy white scutellaria, and it's great in shade and it will tolerate dry shade. So really, really good, good plant. Then, if you want to go a little bit taller. And later in the season, you've got things like strobolanses, especially strobilances rachiensis, lovely sort of mound forming with lovely deep purple flowers, and that's flowering August, September. Um, So one of those times of the year when people have trouble getting colour. And then what else have I sort of noted up with it? So veronicas. There are the veronica gentinoides for the spring. And then a lot of people think of Veronica as being prairie plants because of the Dutch wave using them, so Petoldoff uses them with grasses a lot but in actual fact, Castrum will grow in shade and give you some good spires of late season colour so those are just a few there are others.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good starting point and um, sort of recommendations of best plants to mix with your roses now i i have i've got a rose bed at home and i've got napita uh i've got i think six hills giant which is growing profusely as we speak um and i know it's going to produce produce lots of flowers great for the bees but is there anything else i could be putting in that bed
2: yeah i mean what people forget is that they sort of say they want ground cover and most of the ground covers are in flower or doing their stuff when the roses are out so you miss seeing them. Um, and what I always say to people is when the roses are finished and you cut them back, that's when you need some interest. Mm-hmm. And so your Cynthia trichens, your asters, Michaelmas daisies, all of those are brilliant as late season in rose borders. Really, really good because they, they get held up. So they don't need support because the roses are their support. Um, you can put in Gora for instance, to give you a little bit of wafting summer colour in there mm. as well. They have changed their name, and everybody's going to hate this, but they've changed to Oanotra. Oh,
1: gosh, really? But,
2: <laughs> yes, oh. they have. Oh, um, yeah, another Yeah, there are a lot of name changes, unfortunately. But if you want ground cover, then you can't go far wrong with some of the carpeting campanulas. So, Campanula Porscheiana, for instance, mm the ground cover hardy geraniums, probably the oxonian types or the sanguinium types, depending on whether it's a sunny border or it's a shadier border. And even a scrampia are quite good as a mixer in with, with some of the roses. But so there is quite a lot that you can yes. put in there. Brilliant.
0: that's a really brilliant selection of plants for us there thank you so much i've got a young family at rosie so i'm trying to get my children into growing things so we do potatoes and sunflowers but what do you think the next step and suggestions for them should be
2: i think i think sweet peas are always a good good option with children they yep. love because they start to wind up and they sort of get this idea and it, it sort of hearts back to sort of jack and the beanstalk and they can see them going going up and twining around quickly. Yeah. And then they've got lovely flowers that they're able to pick and they've got a scent to them. That's so a good So they're, they're always a good idea. Amules are brilliant because children get bored quickly. So something that comes, you know, quickly germinates, comes through and flowers um, yeah. is great. But if you're wanting them to learn a plant material that they can't really kill off. And something like GM Rivali are really good okay. because they can lift them, split them, and they can see how they can sort of split off this woody rhizome and there's root on it and they pot it up and they've got another plant and that will encourage them to learn the idea of splitting stuff, it's okay. you know, something like that. And then children always love daisies. Yeah. Um, they, they, so any of the Daisy family, I would say, are good for
0: them. Brilliant. I might have to go shopping
1: and buy a few more plants <laughs> now, then. Thank you. I think we've got some of those in stock, Peter. So <laughs> you'll be, you'll be fine.
2: <laughs> giving everybody ideas on what they can do. <laughs> um,
1: Rosie, the, the big flower shows obviously must be great. That you get involved in, you know, from the planning and the staging and everything in between. Yeah, it must be quite a stressful experience thinking about that. Um, what's perhaps the most often asked question you get asked yes. at the RHS shows and when you're out and about with local shows?
2: Um, this, I've actually done a, a YouTube video on this because it has to be the most asked question and it's the one that I despair of but I know I shouldn't. <laughs> and that is, will this grow in a pot? Oh, okay. And they're handing me a plant in a pot and asking me if it would grow in a pot. Mm. I know they don't. I know they don't mean it in that way. What they're trying to say to me is, can I grow this in a larger pot? It just gets me, and, and Rob, Rob has to send me away because I, I I just get to a point where I can't answer the question because you know that's what what you're going to get asked. <laughs> it it, it, it that. The main one, and then the other one will be something that's sterile, for instance. Oh, can I grow it from seed? No, it's sterile. That means it doesn't actually produce seed, <laughs> so you have to buy it as a plant. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't like to sound condescending, and, and I know people are are wanting to learn, and I know they don't understand it all the time. And, and obviously, as plant people, we know what the plants are doing. But you do just have to bite your tongue occasionally and smile and breathe deeply and go, no, I'm terribly sorry. That is not the sort of plant that you can do that with. It, 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 you have to buy it as a plant, and, and I know that's a bit more expensive. But there are other things you can grow from seed which look similar. So, you know, you can, you can do that. But this is why you don't often see me at the shows doing the selling. Because I can get irate.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
0: Well, that's it. So, and just thinking about all these flower shows and like Hampton Court and Chelsea flower shows and the displays that um, you put together, can you give us some things that have happened that possibly weren't planned when putting um, the exhibitions together? Or yeah,
2: I mean, one of the big ones that sticks in my mind is. Oh, going back quite a long time, might have been sort of about 97, that sort of era. Mm. Going up to Chelsea, we got up, uh, other plants had gone up. Neil, our um, lad who does all the driving up there, he had had gone all the way up. He'd stopped at every single red light on the way into London, because you know what it's like going in there. And if you catch the red lights, you're that's it, you're stuck, you are Red light stop, red light stop. And he got all the way up, got into the, the plane. He was just about to uh, open the doors to unload the van. And he suddenly heard a meow. And he thought, oh my <laughs> word, the kittens. And, and he thought, no, I haven't opened the door. One shot past him. The other one came out and he grabbed it and put that in the cab. And then for four days, five days, setting up the show, we could be seen going around the show site with a can of food, tapping it and calling the kitten that wasn't there. And they hadn't been inside the van; they had been underneath on the actual chassis of the vehicle. So obviously, at night, the lorry engine had cooled down. They'd gone there because it was a nice place to sleep.
0: Yeah.
2: And they'd have had loads and loads of opportunities to jump off, but they jumped off when it stopped. Show <laughs> We did eventually find the kitten. It was. Um, behind one of the or, in one of the orchid stands, wow. um, and just on the night, just before judging, and it was there. And uh, someone who worked for us had, had had stayed up, and he found the kitten, managed to grab it, knocked one of the uh, orchids off, it, so put the orchid back in place. And luckily, that orchid display got a gold because otherwise, the kitten <laughs> would have been.
0: <laughs>
2: so that yeah, so that was sort of one of those things that wasn't mm. supposed to happen. The other one, other one that is, 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 a, is a nightmare for Chelsea, for Chelsea is the fact that you can guarantee the week before Chelsea there will be a hard frost, mm-hmm. And if you have forgotten to put the horticultural fleece over the regercias or any of these big soft leaves, then you come out and they're black. Mm-hmm. But what we hadn't bargained on one year was a massive hailstorm. Dear. And we went out, and even things like Achillea, their leaves were shredded. Yeah. And it was as though someone had gone round with a set of, of scissors and gone right the way round the edge of the pot, and there was the leaf all on the floor yeah. and the bit inside the boot. You wouldn't think that it could shred Achillea leaf, but, it, it, you know, it did. Hampton Court is, is is not so much of a, a nightmare to do as the early shows you do occasionally and we did once have the whole of the shelving collapse in the back of the lorry oh, and word. some of the show plants were underneath the collapsed bit so oh, no. we sort of carefully lifted them out cut off bits that got broken and then thought well luckily we only lost about a tray and a half um yeah. we were able to tidy the other stuff up but that's a nightmare you open the back of the doors and you just see everything collapse and you think oh no this is just not going to work.
1: Mm. Oh, they're, they're great stories, Rosie. Thank, thank you for sharing those. Good. Um, as far as uh, what people do with their perennials, is there any particular piece of advice you give to our Dig It audience on how to get the best from their plants this season?
2: This season, oh, my 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 thing is treat them mean. Don't be too kind to them. Don't mollycoddle them. They are tough plants. They don't need. Masses of protection they don't need to be over over watered otherwise all that will happen is that their roots stay at the top surface and don't go down to find the water naturally and don't overfeed them if you go and give them too much food you'll just get loads and loads of leaves and no flower so i'm mm-hmm. always of the opinion you should treat them a little bit mean and then they will be much better for you
0: excellent and new plants are always coming into the market and your nursery is well known for launching new varieties into the garden train i know this will be a difficult question but do you have anything uh, have any particular favorites from the last few years or anything planned which you can share with us for release this summer
2: (laughs) yeah i mean we've we've always highlighted new plant material and we've always try to make sure that plant material, especially at Chelsea, has been British bred. Right. So they are always bred by ourselves. We have got some of our own. And, you know, there are one or two of our own that are favourites, such as Sir Rosy Jane, which is is a lovely plant. You know, it is a very, very good plant. And then more recently, which we, we launched at, well, it actually went at the... Um, trade fair didn't it first but then it went to um hampton court and that is our anemone frilly knickers which okay. just I mean, you just say the name and it makes everybody chuckle and it you know <laughs> it is it is a lovely plant and mm. i tell you what rob has got so many one-liners for selling those
1: you know. <laughs> i bet he has <laughs>
2: <laughs> unbelievable those, those are two of our own which i like but i have to say the GMs that we've launched, so GMs, Tokyo Tangerine and Scarlet Tempest have to be amongst my favourites of the new plants because they are reliable, uh, they are both sterile, so that means they flower and flower and flower. Right. And one is more upright and taller and a lovely uh, soft tangerine colour and the other one is more open and slightly shorter and beautiful. Not brick red, but scarlet brick red. Semi-double flowers. So you, you, those are two really, really good forms. And they have proved over the years since we have launched them to sell out every year. And I think that's always a trademark of a good plant, that people always want it.
1: Mm, yeah. Most definitely. See, it's interesting that uh, both Frilly Nickers and, and Totally Changerine GMs are are one of our best sellers in our, our perennials um, out there, so yeah, you know, you know, quality, uh, performance sort of outshines, isn't it? That's 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 very true. That's
2: yeah. it is it is what it's about. It's not mm. just having, you know, it's not just having a fancy name for something, and it no. being new. they it being new. They need to be plants that stand mm. the test of time, um and that is usually and that is usually why we 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 chose plants when we were launching them is that they had to have. A different characteristic that made them stand out from anything else within that, that plant family. Mm,
1: indeed, um, Rosie, we, we can buy perennials now from sort of effectively plug plants to instant potted plants. In your opinion, what's sort of the perfect size of plant to actually buy? You know, when, you, when you're setting them out in the garden, is there a, is there a particular mantra you would you would go for? Is small always best?
2: I mean, small. You, I think it depends on what time you have restraint restriction, i.e. you are planting this garden up because you want to have beautiful plants for the next five to ten years and you're willing to wait. If you are only going to be in the garden for three years, you may want to go for a slightly bigger plant. But I would say with herbaceous, there's no point going past really a three-litre size because once you get up into a five litre, you're you're talking about something that needs splitting almost straight away Uh, so a three litre gives you they're probably 18 months to two years old when they're in that size which means that they're going to go in the ground get away and look fantastic so if you only want one plant that's great if you want a a sort of a big swathe of plants then I would go for smaller do anything from a nine centimetre to a one litre are brilliant for doing your sways planting if you've got larger areas um to do or if you are thinking yeah this is a new border, i'm not worried if it doesn't look good for the next year or so then definitely use the smaller plants for that plug plants are brilliant but you really should be containerizing them and getting them to grow on you shouldn't be putting plug plants straight into the garden unless of course you're trying to do something like a wild grass area or maybe even a gravel area Um, then you could perhaps use plug plants in there but I, I think they're just a little bit too small for most gardeners to appreciate what you need to do with them and how you need to cope with them. That's just my opinion anyway.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. And um, from a personal point of view, have you got a favourite plant, a, a favourite perennial that you could share with us?
2: It's very difficult, that one, because I think I have favourite perennials for different seasons. Yeah. So at the moment, one of my favourites will be Iphian, for okay. instance, um, especially Alberto Costello. It's just so beautiful. It, it's got or just creamy big flowers, it smells of honey. Uh, the pollinators absolutely adore it. And then it will disappear and you won't see anything again until next spring. You know, it's one of these summer dormant perennials. In the middle of the summer, I quite like some of the tall plants and um, I I really like Verona Castrum at the moment. They they seem to be, you know, one of my, my favourites. But I am someone who likes yellow and I, I'm on a one-woman mission to get everybody to get more yellow in their gardens. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so there are some beautiful yellow daisies or um, the cephalarias. And yep. I, I go away from cephalaria gigantic because that's quite fuggy. Cephalaria alpina is beautiful. It's got wiry stems. It's got low rosettes at the base. And it's a see-through plant, so it doesn't have to be at the back of the border, even though it gets up to a metre 20. You can put it in the middle, and you can see through it. And it's got these lovely scabious-like, slightly smaller um, scabious-type flowers than Gigantia has. But they're in this soft, creamy yellow. And if you're not keen on yellow, that's a good way to start. Start with what is off, you know, that sort of creamy yellow, and then go up to the bolder yellows. And put in things like Cephilium or I really like um Vizia aurea, which is a an umbel, and it's a shade. And it's the most beautiful thing in shade. It's known as Yellow Alexander, one of its common names. Yep. Absolutely beautiful.
1: Brilliant. Well thank you for those. Uh, Rosie, after after that question, we normally ask you uh, our guests for their desert island plant. You know, uh, I suspect this one might be a difficult one for you, but could we we ask for yours and, and, and why?
2: Um, this is going to probably sound very strange, but actually, as a desert island plant, thinking about it, I would actually like a Fagus sylvatica. Okay, I think the common beech tree is one of the most beautiful majestic trees that you can get and it's just when it comes out in the spring it's just about to start now you get that amazing green all winter you've had statuesque skeleton of its growth it's got this big strong trunk which has got silver color beautiful branching you just look up to it and it is just such a stately tree and then it's just about to put on all of its beautiful soft green leaves which have got that lovely hairiness to the edge you know all the way around the edge of the leaves as they come out and then it gets a bit darker underneath it just goes no I'm not allowing anyone else in my space and they're very very difficult to grow anything underneath um, but then when they go the most beautiful colours in the autumn the leaf falls down and you get that leaf litter on the ground. And again, back to that skeleton. I just think they're beautiful. So you get all of that within a tree. And quite often when, you know, you get a beech mast year, and the actual beech nuts are very tasty.
0: Mm. I used to eat them at school. They were fantastic, sort of going out and foraging under the beech tree for the little nuts and peeling off the yeah. kernels. And that was brilliant. Excellent. That's a really nice choice. I think, did, like you say, it's a very majestic and stately tree and in, in form and without a doubt, it's a lovely, lovely tree. And for our audience, we always like to share a joke or a funny tale at the end of the, the show. Have you any things you've picked up through your career that you'd like to share with us?
2: <laughs> um, in the days when we were able to have two people on a stand at Chelsea when the Royals came round, it was, um, I would say, um, whereas now, well or now we, we don't go to Chelsea anymore, but I would say, and we happened to have a Chelsea which was really, really hot, and I was getting to the point, I thought, you know what I'm just going to have to take my shoes off and I'm just going to be in bare feet on the grass which Mm -hmm. is a lovely feeling because you get feel much cooler straight away and the queen was just coming round, and and I thought oh crumbs I've got bare feet never mind Robert can go and (laughs) say hello to her and it was really funny because one of her ladies in waiting came up and whispered to me she says I wish I could take my shoes and socks (laughs) off so it was you know so that was that was quite entertaining and, and quite
1: funny that's a, that's a good one <laughs> Th- thanks Rosie for that obviously so if our podcast audience our digital audience would like to know a little bit more about your nursery where will they catch you perhaps on the show circuit this year and perhaps where's the best place to find out more information about uh, about your nursery
2: okay so everybody's sort of worried that we've retired we have only retired from Chelsea Fire Show mm-hmm. so we will still be at Newley, and Malvern, um, Birmingham, Hampton Court, and then uh, Beaver, and then Malvern again. Those are the big shows that we're going to. We also go to little one-day plant fairs and sales, and all of those details are on our website. And if people do visit the website, and I know you're going to put the website address at the end, aren't you? So they can see what it is. They can go on there and they can sign up for a newsletter and the newsletter will give them any offers that we're doing because we do do mail order, et cetera, if people can't get to us um, from uh, wherever they are listening. Um, so that's the easiest way of finding out. And, you know, if you happen to be near the plant fairs, Rob's always likes to um, say hello to people and he always likes to know where they've heard of us or, or, or you know, how why they've come today to see see us at the show, which is always Always interesting to see, and then we do have a YouTube channel. However, that is not technically now Hardy's; it's me, so it's Rosie Hardy Gardening, because that means I can talk about plant material that we don't actually grow at the nursery. So it gives gives us more scope to cover other things in gardening. But when I'm talking about individual plants that we do at Harvey's then I let people know so they can have a little tutorial on how to look after their goras through the whole of the year when to cut them back when to split them all of these sorts of things So they're, they're, they're sort of instructional videos
1: that sounds brilliant Rosie, as always a real pleasure to, to chat to you today. Uh, we've learnt so much, haven't we, Peter? Mm, it's
0: been amazing. Hasn't it? oh, it's really inspired me to go and get some sweet peas growing now for my children. And, and I think there's a loads lot of perennials as now. well. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Rosie. Well
2: if you do the sweet peas for the children, remember to use something that is clear plastic and put the sweet peas at the edge so they can see the roots growing down the side as well.
0: Brilliant idea. Maybe I'll recycle one of my old orchid pots. Okay. That'd be a good
1: That'd be useful. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy We
2: want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chiltonmusictherapy.co.uk